0: It's good to see each of you here tonight, and we're going to continue our study of the book of Philippians. And let me tell you that when you take a book of the Bible and you try to grasp the great lessons that are in it, sometimes you just have to step back and think about what the whole book is about and why Paul is writing the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, and his dear friend Philemon. And you realize Paul's in prison. And I don't know sometimes if we appreciate the seriousness of being in prison. And Paul's life was hanging in the balance. And so I want to begin with the idea of talking about death and what is your view of your own death? Do you fear it? And I would say that if most of us are honest with ourselves there is a great apprehension, there's a great concern that perhaps we do fear it just a little bit. When the writer of the book of Hebrews spoke about it, he said, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All their lifetime were through a fear of death. You know, there's a different perspective that a person is able to draw because of this. Are you ready to face it? If you were told today or you were told this week that death is awaiting you, how would you approach it? I can tell you how Paul felt about it. Before he was ever arrested, before he was ever taken to Rome, Paul faced it in Acts 21, verse 13. He answered, What do you mean by breaking my heart and weeping? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And we know sometimes people will say something without having thought about it. But I think Paul had a very great perspective on death as we're going to look in our lesson tonight. And I will tell you that having the comfort of knowing about heaven, having the reassurance that God will do everything that he says, brings about a comfort we cannot even explain Philippians 4, verse 7 And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There's a, a subtle and a very uh, reassuring and comforting feeling that the child of God has. Christians need a shot of faith, knowing that with God all things are possible. What if I face this in my life? As Paul would say in verse 13 of chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can make it, I can survive, and I can be with God. Here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to pick up with verse 19, and I want us to study through verse 30. Verses 19 and 20 are going to be the situation in which Paul finds himself and We'll have to elaborate on that a little bit as we go along. We're going to look at the selection. What shall I choose, life or death? And is the choice up to me? And then number three, the solution that Paul gave the Philippians, which is the solution that you and I should be pursuing as well. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Paul said, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now Paul says, I know that this will turn out For my deliverance, you've got to put yourself where Paul is. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, but due to a threat brought about by some Jewish people who had taken a vow, Paul was transferred to Caesarea. He appeared first before Festus and then before Felix, or Felix, then Festus, excuse me. And then Paul found it necessary to appeal to Caesar. He stayed in Caesarea for two years. Then you remember, as Luke records in the book of Acts, that treacherous journey going from Caesarea to Rome and the shipwreck that Paul endured in going through this. His life was hanging in the balance all along, but he had the reassurance. So he is now in this Roman prison. Will he be executed or will he be released? I think about the preacher who is in Turkey right now. You may or may not know that a lot of the kind of conflict between our country and the country of Turkey relates to this man who is actually being held there. He was very good friends with some of those who sought to overthrow the prime minister. And because of that, he got caught up into a political battle, and he has been held for a long time now. And the question is, will he be released or not? Paul's question is, what's going to happen to me? He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. The situation is, he knows what's going to take place. He's confident. Why is Paul so confident? He said, it's through your prayer. Does prayer affect things? Does prayer change things? Obviously, it does. When Paul wrote Philemon, verse 22, he says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul believed that he was even not only going to be released, but he was going to go to Philemon's place. He said, I want you to prepare a guest room for me. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desired to live honorably, but especially I urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. I want you to pray for me to be released. And Paul said, I'm confident about that. But he wasn't just confident through the prayers of the people, but he was confident through the Spirit that had been given to him. He said through the supply of the Spirit. And there's an interesting word that he uses here, the word supply. The word is epi, which always means upon higher ghetto, from which we get our word chorus, in other words it's all everything coming together here, and sometimes the words translated grows or supplies it's found in Colossians two nineteen where he talks about we're being knit together by the joints and ligaments and grows with the increase that is from God, or Philippians four verse nineteen and my God shall supply all of your need according to the riches of his glory by Christ Jesus. The word is, the idea of the Spirit is going to supply what I need. Paul was confident because of that. He said, my earnest expectation and hope. When you see the word hope in the Bible, it's not just wishful thinking. Someone says, I hope I win the Publisher's Clearinghouse sweepstakes. Or they used to back when it was very prevalent. That's not the kind of hope that is in the Bible. That's wishful thinking. This is a confident expectation based upon the promises of God. Paul would write the Romans in chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, for we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We keep holding out because we know that God will keep his promises. Titus 1 and verse 2, and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised. You see, God does exactly what he says to do. And then Paul looks at the situation and he says, I know that you're going to pray for me. I know what the Spirit is going to do for me. But he says, Christ will be magnified by my body or in my body, whether by life or by death. You look and see the situation. What if Paul lives? Paul's going to keep on preaching. Paul's keep on doing what God wants to do. What happens if he dies? Paul then becomes a martyr. His life stirs up many other people. Free the way. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. Paul says, we're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. My body is going to be given over to his usage. Romans 14, verse 8, for if we live, we live in the Lord. If we die, we die in the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. For Paul, his life is in peril and he's confident either way it should go. That's a situation. But now when you get to verses 21 through 26, there's a selection. What will it be? Let's read. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For if I live on the flesh, what will fruit? this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming again. Now, when Paul looks at this, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. He said there's really two choices and those choices were for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let me ask you a question. If you were put with that choice right now, what would you choose? If you could Choose right now to depart and you know you go to heaven. You know you get to be with the Lord. You know there's a reward there. On the other hand, you know if you stay, you have the ability to affect your children, your grandchildren, and maybe other people so that they get to go to heaven. Oh, that's a hard choice then. The second election was not up to Paul, though. You see, he's not the one who gets to choose. God's the one who's going to choose. If it were up to Paul, Paul said, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul knew what was on the other side. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I know a man in Christ. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Heard words that were not lawful for man to utter. What he saw, what he observed, he said, oh, I, if I can go now, I'm ready to go. I'd have the desire to part me with Christ far better. He said the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We're confident, well-pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If you had the choice and you knew what was on the other side, why would you want to stay? I heard a fellow say, you know, if we were truly understanding, God said, well... If, if you'll let me treat you with this, I'll let you, it'll give you a, extend your life by another four or five years. No one says, well, if I had known what was on the other side, I would let that, tell that doctor, forget it. I'm ready to go on now. But God always chooses what is best according to His will. Sometimes, according to God's will, something may be better to happen now. But Paul says to remain in the flesh is more needful for you there was still something that God wanted Paul to accomplish with the Philippi brethren. Something that he could be able to do to influence them. He goes on to say, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith. You know, sometimes as a man looks at his work with a congregation, whether it be as a preacher, as an elder, or as a deacon, or a Bible class teacher, a person who says, Well, you know, am I accomplishing anything? Am I contributing to the good? Am I doing something in the role that I'm in? The idea is not just run and leave, the idea is say, I want to be able to continue to. Bring about progress. I want to see the church grow. I want to see the church do well. That's what Paul was going to do for the church at Philippi. Paul would help mature them. To take those who knew very little and to guide and shape and teach so that these people then became mature Christians. And they would joy together. It's good times. You know, uh, Brother Joe got up here tonight. And uh, he stood up here probably... 15, 20 seconds. Nobody was getting quiet. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but I did. There's a lot of fellowship going on. I heard laughter across the auditorium, I heard people talking. Do you realize these are good times? These are times when we as a body of Christ draw closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But now Paul's going to offer a solution because it's not just about him, it's about the church. It's not just about the church, it's about individual Christians within that body. Let's listen to verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Now let's look at what he says here. Paul had his own situation. He had his own choices himself. What about them? When someone gets up and they tell you about the things that they are enduring in their lives, you know what immediately comes to my mind? What kind of situation am I in? If I listen to what someone else is doing, what am I doing? How does this apply to me? Paul had two solutions for them. They were, number one, that their conduct would be worthy of the gospel. That their lives would reflect being a faithful child of God. Number two, courage in the face of persecution. Now, for just a minute or two, let's explore those two ideas and then we'll bring the lesson to a close. Conduct worthy of the gospel. The word conduct or manner of life is an idea that Paul has used numerous times. I'm just going to take two passages. One from the letter to the Ephesians, one to the letter to the Colossians. He said in chapter 4, verse 1 of the Ephesians, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Worthy of the calling with which you were called. What kind of people does God call us to be? He wants us to live better than the world. He wants us not to love the world. He wants us to live a better lifestyle. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 10 That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. To be worthy of God means that I am doing the very best that I can do to live the life that God wants me to live. That means when I'm out here, I'm telling the truth, that means I'm honest. That means that when I have an opportunity to do good, I am fruitful in that. It means that I take some time to grow in my knowledge. Then he explains what that will result in. Standing fast in one spirit. One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We as a Lord's church should be known for the fact that we all believe and practice the same thing. There's a movement in the Lord's Church today that prizes and treasures diversity. That says, Oh, you 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 bring to your the your little thing to the table and you bring your little thing to the table and, and we all have these talents and abilities. Yes, that's true. But we'll leave the idea that somehow that we can all have our own views of the gospel. We can have our own interpretations. No. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10? He says, I want you to all speak the same thing. To be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment or Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. The early church looked at one another and said, We're a family. We stand together. We speak with one voice. But the second thing is to have courage in the face of persecution. Well, Paul's had to do that. Paul said, you've seen it in me. You've heard that it's been in me. And he says, you've got to have that same kind of courage in the face of persecution. And he explains, you are not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Now, I want to illustrate that for just a moment. You think about being terrified by your adversaries. This afternoon I was watching a little bit of thing on the Smithsonian Channel about uh, what happened on one of the Pacific islands and how that the during World War II these men came in and they fought for this island. And one of the guys described the situation, he says, I was just scared to death, shaking. In fact, he said, I urinated on myself when they told me what we were going to do. Now, that's genuine fear, folks. But you're not terrified to the point that you you won't stand up. Those those same men that were scared to have to face that also went into battle and faced it. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 4 and 5. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abused me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. Then when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Do you see what Saul did? Saul says, I am so afraid to engage in the battle, I'm just going to kill myself or have somebody kill me. I'm going to commit suicide. Oh, yes, you may be fearful of the enemy, but you still take courage. Courage is conquering the fear that you've got. You want to know the truth? When it comes time to go knock doors, the first door that I go up to, I am really nervous because I don't know what the person on the other side of that door is going to say or do. And I will tell you that generally the first person who comes to the door says, Well, good morning. What can I do for you? Boy, that wasn't bad at all. And then you go to the next one. And the next one. And you conquer your fear. You conquer that uh, terror that goes along with it. You can see that in both Jesus and you can see it in Paul. You can see the men who've had to have courage in the face of it. So every Christian should expect persecution. Persecution. I should expect it. You should expect it. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's going to come. That's going to be a part of our being loyal to God. But every Christian should also be prepared for death. And I'm not just talking about prepared for death in the sense of somebody persecuting you. But everybody should be prepared for death in the sense that they are ready to go to heaven. You know, tonight we've gathered here. Some of you, I'm sure, are visiting here. Some of you who are among our younger group may be thinking, this will never happen to me. That's something a long way off. None of us are promised tomorrow in the sense of whether we will live or whether we will die. None of us are promised that the Lord won't come again. And so what does the Lord want out of me? Whether I live or whether I die, God wants me to be faithful to Him. And so I ask the question, are you ready for the Lord's return? We're going to sing number 262. I bring my sins to thee. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we want to encourage you to come forward. If you're a child of God wanting prayers for your sins, let's pray with you so that God will forgive you of those. Would you come as together we stand and sing.